1: Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing
0: for vacations to come with Quince. Go to slash trip for free shipping and 365 day returns.
1: dedicated to Henry In the year of the Prime Minister,
0: the to Hey! Come on, face of the goat in the mirror, eyes burn like an October sunrise, as once they gazed upon the hillside, searching for the memories, in the shadow of the horns, only seen by the kings, of the dawn of the first millennium, upon the thrones, in the shadow of the horns, cleansed like the air in the night, world without end. World without end indeed, my friends. I'm Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous. Who knows what goddamn episode it was. That was In the Shadow of the Horns from a blaze in the northern sky by Dark Throne. A little bit of Norwegian black metal lyricism to start off today's episode. And what will this episode be? Well, I suppose as a little companion episode to last week's report from... Um, beyond the gates festival um, and after a little discussion between ah, quite a few people at the festival um, including torgrim recently just uh, what are the most underrated maybe underappreciated hidden gems from the norwegian black metal scene from back in the day and you know kind of in black metal adjacent let's say as well And it got me thinking, a couple of us were having these debates while we were there. Of course, we all know what are the prime movers when it comes to talking about Norwegian black metal. I will reveal my favourite ones at the end of the podcast just to create um, a little element of non-existent suspense. But I just thought I would dredge my memory and go back and try and maybe consider 10 underrated, underappreciated records and some Um, some honourable mentions. I'm a man who loves a good list. I love a goddamn list. Um, When I was a kid, not even as a kid, I'm obsessed with top 10s, top 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, Sometimes, you know, there's this thing you can go and find online. It's like a top 40 generator and you can go back and you can go, tell me the top 40 of the UK album charts in September the 10th, 1981. And I will spend ages going over the top 40, et cetera, et cetera. I'm obsessed with record sales. I suppose you could say obsessed a little bit with numbers. Read into that what you will. So the idea of a top 10, I've resisted it mainly with the podcast. You know that there aren't many BuzzFeed style top 10 this or, you know, metal blah 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 website top 10, top 12, there's top 13 Norwegian black metal albums, whatever um it's kind of easy content to make and I have to admit it does appeal to me but I've tried to not really go down that route but I think after 120 episodes you will allow me a small incursion into the realm of creating a top 10 actually you know what, it's not even really a top 10, it's a sort of vague mention of 10, 11, 12 records that I think maybe don't get enough love or respect or tender love and care as maybe they could have or should have. Um, Records that were back in the day, I suppose, regarded, but for some reason have fallen from grace, perhaps. I don't know. I'm not really too sure. However, we'll get into that. A little bit of housekeeping first, and that is that if you want to support the show, Um, Go over to patreon.com slash Alan Averill, which is, um, you know, there's bonus podcasts, there's rehearsals, there's behind the scenes video, this of that of rehearsals and live shows and all sorts of other random stuff. Mainly at the moment, lots of arguing about what crypto means, um, as I am a sort of novice about the whole thing. Um, Old man shouts at clouds would be a fair definition of my understanding of the whole thing. Anyway, go over and take a look. There are no tears. Follow me on Nemthiang underscore Primordial for my um, rather dull, if acerbic, adventures on the gram or Primordial underscore official. And you can see what's going on with Primordial these days. Um, all that kind of thing. Um, the show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com, um, especially in North America. Um, you can use the promo code ALAN to get 10% off your order Considering now that you've probably seen Merciful Fate this summer, you probably need to go back and reorder some of those old Merciful Fate records and especially the 90s records, which if you've looked at my YouTube channel, you will find I've done a deep dive into Merciful Fate and a lot of talking about those 90s records, especially uh, in the shadows and time. Great, great records, like really, really solid records. And now is the time. pick them up on vinyl reissues go and check out the links below you can also find a a link to a best of metal blade 80s playlist that i made amongst various other things go and take a listen so there you have it now let's have a little look at what i consider to be 10 11 12 Mm. mm, we'll see um underrated norwegian black metal and black metal adjacent Records. They're in no particular order, and I've not done a, an incredible amount of research here. So if you happen to have played on one of these records or record, I don't mention you're going Why, goddamn it, Avril? Um, I'm not sure why you'd have that accent, but you know, if you were, well, I do apologise. My first one is Carpathian Forest through Chasm Caves and Titan Woods. And that's the name of the first EP by, Car- by Carpathian Forest. Um, and this really is my favorite release by the band. It includes two really strange songs. Um, I think it's The Pale Mist Hovers Towards the Nightly Shords. And I think it's through Journey Through the Cold Moors of Sfartian, which are it's almost like acoustic, kind of dark wave film soundtrack um, movements. And then the other two or three are more kind of Celtic Frosty style, uh, grim black metal songs. And it's really the the first two that sort of really struck me as something very strange and very different. Um, I was a big fan of the demo, and um, whatever the fuck the demo was called, um, Journey through the the something the woods of Siasora or something. Or I probably could have looked that up, couldn't I? Yes, it was actually called journey through the cold moors of Svartian and it's strange because those two songs when I ordered the Carpathian Forest demo from um, Nordavind and um, he just tagged onto the recording at the end of the demo and then they just reappeared on this EP and um, it's a very I think it represents a very interesting part of Carpathian Forest's history and it made a big difference Impact on me at the time, it was a really strong EP that I think no one really talks about anymore. It's on avant-garde music, um, who were a brilliant label out of Italy at the time. They had so many good bands and so many killer releases. But it was before the band got sort of Gigi Allen-ish, sort of s sort of scuzzy, sleazy. It's really, really before all that stuff took hold. I think the next album after this is Black Shining Leather because they disappeared for a couple of years. And I think, the you know, not to Frost and Nord of in parted ways. But this first EP is a sort of great mixture of really primitive black metal, a little bit of Frost and Hellhammer, something very cold about it. But those two um, instrumental kind of soundscape songs um, are really pretty special. I don't know how it's been re-released or I don't know anything about it. Um, I'm looking at my vinyl copy of it here from Avant Garde Music back in the time. Killer artwork, Um, the kind of um, logo fits in really well. I used to have a demo shirt somewhere or other that I think I traded with Neil from Cacophonus. Neil, if you're listening, um, give me back that goddamn shirt. I'm not sure what I traded it for, but it's pretty sure it was something to do with Bathory or Venom um, that he had lying around in a shelf from 1984. Who knows if I still have that, but certainly the first EP by Carpathian Forest through Chasm, Caves and Titan Woods is my first um, proposal for an underrated Norwegian black metal record. The second on my list um, is a band that I think overall deserves an awful lot more love, and that's Gehenna. Not Gehenna with a H from Sweden, but Gehenna. First Bell was a really important EP at the time. I'm on Head Not Found Records. They released an EP before that. What was it called? Black Seared Heart, I think. Um, no, Ancestor of the Darkly Sky. And it was this sort of mid-paced, quite grim, almost sort of ploddy kind of black metal, but with this sort of ethereal keyboard thing over the top. Um, and a really great um, ice-cold voice. Looking here on their Wikipedia, God damn, they have some amount of members. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, Sanrab and Dolgar and all these names. Um and my old friend Pear on the drums. Yeah, seeing Through the Veils of Darkness, the second spell, is the first full length album by Gehenna. A vinyl LP version limited to a thousand copies released in ninety five by Necromantic Gallery Productions. Wow, Necromantic Gallery actually offered primordial a contract. I think they were the I think it was the first actual record contract I got and um, before I think there was some discussions with Candlelight, some discussions with Cacophonus and a few others. But Necromantic Gallery it was the first time that I would actually just received um, a kind of formal offer in the in the in the in the post somewhere in 94, 95, maybe early ninety five, maybe the end of ninety four, and it was really quite a big thing. The kind of thing where you got on the phone straight away and said, "I've got a ring." Kieran and talk to him about this and blah 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 and you know read read him out the entire contract over the phone and what are we going to do etc cetera, etc cetera. but seen through the veils of darkness is a is a great record it's um, I'm not really one for orchestral keyboard orientated black metal and that's not really what was going on with Gehenna and the music the riffs were kind of ice cold sort of I've used that now twice I need to think of some other analogies um, just really great Um, melodic riffing structures but with the keyboard kind of sits slightly back it's kind of ethereal sounding Um, the whole vibe of Gehenna is this sort of ghastly sort of funereal kind of um, atmosphere and at the time I remember there was a big tour I think they did it with Cradle of Filth maybe in 95 they really were a band that were um, on the way up I remember seeing posters for the band everywhere when I went to London on my first trips to Europe Um, They were a band that were um, really kind of just under that first tier of bands in Norway, the Underneath the Mayhem's and Emperors. And whatever happened to the band since then, um, they've, of course, released new albums. But I think they just sort of retreated to live on an island somewhere and um, did a few other things with their life and kind of left Gehenna settle in the dust a little bit. Um, I did see them on tour about oh, five years ago. We played a gig with them in Poland. I think they were with Take. And yeah, they sounded great. But those um, those first few records do have something magical about them. I suppose that's the cliche. But definitely um, Lord of Flies, Winterrick, A Witch is Born was the kind of hit, I suppose, at the time. I suppose they were the band's band within that kind of early keyboard orientated almost vampiric sounding black metal um the band's band were gehenna um anyway it makes a perfect companion actually to the principle of evil made flesh i would propose third on my list is Turnus, a band that um i suppose were also in a sort of parallel world to primordial back in the day along with Tearfing and septic flesh and ancient rites we were all kind of on Hammerheart Records at a certain period in time. Um, and again, a band who are still releasing records. I can see they have an album from 2018 on Dark Essence Records. The Last Few were on Dark Ex- Essence Records. But their their time where they I suppose they had the most impact um, was specifically, and I played this when I was DJing in um, Beyond the Gates, is the Dark Sorcery EP. This is... Um, I don't really think there's much black metal that sounds like this. It's down-tuned almost to a sort of realm of chaos tuning. I don't know exactly what it is. But the sound is very brutal for Norwegian black metal. It's totally um, in opposition to most of the middly, trebly, high-pitched, sort of uh, frozen north kind of uh, tropes that you would expect from the dynamics. It's very dense and bass-heavy. Um, and nothing really sounds like dark sorcery, and still to this day, I don't think it really does. The debut album, Beyond the Wandering Moon '97, is great, but it's the second album, and so the night became '1998, Hammerheart Records, that I think is little short of a masterpiece. Um, certainly, it was an album that we really, really liked with Primordial at the time. All of us around '98, '99, listened to it a lot. Um, I think I may have even stolen the line, I have one desire, um, which actually is from, I think it's from Shakespeare or something, some play, but I turned out Eternus had used it a, little, a year before we wrote the song, Gods of the Godless. I don't know if that's something subconscious going on there. I'm not really too sure. Either way, um, this album and So The Night Became is, is a huge sounding record. Great, great drum sound, big open bass and very brutal vocals, but um, just a very dense, big tone. And let me just have a look here now, um, because I'm pretty sure it was recorded by Piton and it proves the worth of the studio when every album that comes in and out of Greek Helen has a different tone and sound. That is the worth of an engineer, I think, who doesn't necessarily try and impose their sound upon the band, but interprets the band's sound to the best of their ability. Is part of the process, processes um, their tone, because um, certainly Dark Sorcery has an incredibly um, brutal tone. Um, After that, I think the band toured with some death metal bands and maybe became influenced a bit too much by... The Cannibal and the deusides of the World. But those those triplet of releases, Dark Sorcery, Beyond the Wondering Moon, and So the Night Became, especially I would recommend to anybody. I think they're um, actually, in a way, what pagan metal should be, the essence of um, pagan metal. It's dark stuff. So certainly Aeternus, and So the Night Became, is my third uh, choice. Oh, my fourth choice will be Hades Almighty, or Hades as we just knew them. Um, This is what I would hope that maybe if someone looked up in a dictionary somewhere um, and looked up pagan metal in the heavy metal lexicon, they would come across the album Hades Again Shall Be, because that to me is the sort of traditional or once upon a time, um definition of what pagan metal what actually was I mean pagan black metal whatever you want um 1990 let me see 94 full moon productions american label um who had tons of uh tons of bands I don't really remember what happened to them but the uh, alone walking walking demo 1993 um Wounded Love Records, wow, yeah, they were cool. There was Ras Algethi and all sorts of cool bands on Wounded Love, making me nostalgic for that 93, 94 era. But Hades is, um, was using clean vocals as well. And they were one of the first bands from what he went on tour with a little bit for four or five shows in maybe 99. And we were big fans of the Again Shall Be album. It says here they have a split with Calatonia. I don't think I've ever seen that, 1996. Um, Dawn of the Dying Sun was the second one in 97. I didn't like that one as much. Um, but their opening album has got huge, big battery toms. It's got clean, oh, type uh, layered back and vocals. It's got this very harsh bass tone, harsh vocals. But it's epic. It's huge-sounding record that takes its cues from Hammerheart um, and all that kind of stuff. And it really is, again, an example of... Um, There are how can we say Um, there are examples of bands throughout the years who managed to curate their um, their career, let's say, Um, you know, we're all young back in the day. And sometimes you make decisions that don't uh, you know, that don't pan out. And of course, life gets in the way of being in a band. I mean, surely um, I know that. I think that we within Primordial, um, there are certainly uh, I was the guy who was at the front driving things along and, you know, the least talented guy, um, the least creative guy, but the one who was pushing and driving all the time. And sometimes you need different people in the band to have different roles. One needs to be the agitator, the guy who's out kind of pushing for all these other things, because um, other people are just creative people who don't want all of the hassle. And there are bands who are just all of those kind of people who then, you know, we have kids, families and people then, before you know it, five, ten years has gone by and you haven't made an album and all that kind of thing. And careers can, you know, dust can settle on them and they can be put on the shelf by scenes as scenes change. And some of the bands I'm mentioning here, something like that seems to have happened. Um, And it's unfortunate because many of them are still making really great music. I mean, Pyre Era was the last... Um, EP by Hades Almighty. And it's it's cool. It's really worth looking into. However, what I'm talking about is Again Shall Be. Um, it's a huge, huge record. I presume somebody has re-released it on double vinyl with a huge poster with Alone walking on the other side of it and all this kind of stuff. But that's my um, that's my fourth choice. Hades Almighty. Ah, in fifth. And it's not really a one to five list, but I'm trying to mentally keep myself from going, oh, I mean, 10th and say it twice. But it's uh, Arcturus and My Angel. Um, I was never a huge, huge Arcturus fan of the things that happened afterwards. But My Angel, the very first EP, which I think is 91 or 92, um, I loved and still love. It's a kind of creepy, very odd, strange record. And there's quite a few bands like this, um, also bands Strid who um end of life i think is the name of the 7 inch um deserve a mention there were some unusual bands back then and they weren't all pop pop, 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 pop pop they weren't all harsh super fast sounding stuff there was quite a lot of creepy ghostly kind of sounding records and um, and certainly my angel i think it was on thrash records from france or sedex or something like this um which a friend of mine borrowed i think i had the green covered version green or blue borrowed and never quite gave back but definitely arcturus my angel um had a quite a big influence on primordial i think our first recorded song is 92 the darkest flame and i think there's an element of arcturus my angel in that song um somewhere quite what it is i'm not too sure but certainly it was uh, something we were listening to a lot of back in the day um and that I'm not, uh, I'm not, like I said, a big fan. Consolation was a great EP afterwards, I think I remember. But after that, um, you know, La Masquerade in Finale, I, I'm not really into whatever that became. Ah, some people love it, that's fine. But it's really the very first Arcturus, My Angel, that really made a pretty um, huge, pretty big impression back in the day. Now, Sixth is a band who apparently, I only discovered this today, Their original member um, died recently. So uh, condolences to him and his family. But it's Forgotten Woods, um, a band who at the time I remember uh, kind of stood out like a sore thumb in the Norwegian scene. They, um, it's, and I think even within Norway, they were kind of shunned by um, the traditional black metal people. I'm pretty sure they were from some town that was really out of the way or not. Um, part of the general black metal milieu. Maybe it was because they were on No Colours Records. I don't know. Maybe they didn't go, um, join the correct label or something. Putrefy Productions. I don't know. But... When you're ready to pop the question,
1: the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
0: Um, as the wolves gather, definitely. Um, th- at the time, it did make a huge impression on me. I had a, fr- a friend, a girl I knew who loved them, worshipped them, even wearing Forgotten Woods t-shirts all the time. And it was a kind of like a bit of a oh god, look at their silly logo, their squiggly logo. Looks like it was made by a twelve-year-old, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. For some reason, I don't know what it was. They didn't quite. Um, they didn't quite fit in to everyone's view of what black metal was. But listening back today, um, just going back over some of their stuff, and definitely this As The Wolves Gather album has this sort of tone of suicidal black metal, which Bethlehem inhabited as well, but bands like Shining and stuff, I think, certainly took an influence from it. And I would recommend going onto your Spotify and playing the song Dimension of the Blackest or Grip of Frost, for example. It's it's powerful stuff. It's strong stuff. It's lo-fi there's no doubt about that, but it's got um, great sort of dark, yeah, you know, the suicidal black metal riffing, proto suicidal black metal. Because I think this was kind of before all of that stuff. And um, Forgotten Wolves definitely, I think, is um, really a band that, at the time, maybe seemed maybe they were a bit ahead of their time. I don't know. I don't really know what ahead of their time means. Because certainly it doesn't sound ahead of its time, but definitely a band who are worth some more investigation. There's no doubt about that. So I think I'm on seven now. Well, this is going to be Quist. I spoke about Quist, I think, before. They made one album, uh, excuse my butchery of the Norwegian language, for Kunsten, Mavi, Evig, Vika. I'm sure there has some of you rolling in the aisles. Um, but this was, a again, a, a great release from um, Italian label. Um, I just mentioned them with Carpathian Forest. You can go back and listen to them. Roberto Mamarella from Monumentum. Um, he ran the label and this was a very um, avant garde music. Sorry, my brain. Come on, brain. Let's go. This is a very interesting record. Um, it has a very unusual production, very upfront kind of drum sound. Um, it came out in 1996, the beginning of 1996. Interesting kind of minimalist cover with a sort of stone circle on the front, if I remember correctly. Not really even a logo. I don't know if there was even any members, maybe one member. Quite secretive and um, quite sort of secretive. It says they're from the town of Hanafos, Viken. I don't know what that means. Never even heard of the place. Um, and the band pictures are generally just one guy wearing corpse paint. The music is quite different to that. It does remind me a little bit of The Shadow Throne by Satyricon. Um, but it's got a sort of more pagan sort of earthy kind of vibe to it. Um, great record. Really, really great record. And I think re-released recently on a vinyl, of course, as everything has been. But K-V-I-S-T. I think it means twig in Norwegian, which isn't the most... Uh, awe-inspiring or fear-inspiring name uh, you can have. I'll twig you in the eye. Um, But the record is great. It's, um, I suppose, somewhere between Satyricon and the next band I'm going to talk about, which will be In the Woods, which will be my eighth choice. In the Woods are still around playing, even though I think... Um, I don't think there are any original members left I certainly I saw in the woods with 96 with Catatonia me and my friend put on a show for them in Dublin um, hilarious show I think I've talked about in the podcast before um, you know we stayed up all night making bags of sandwiches and there was no stage no real lights And but it's a kind of one of those um, were you there moments in the Irish metal scene of the 1990s about 250 or 300 people showed up or something I'm sure he's sitting, listening, going, no, it was 236 or whatever, but it was kind of one of those seminal moments where two um, underground bands actually made it to Ireland. Now, I'm sure the bands weren't right happy at having to kind of stand on a half a foot high stage, but the the show went off. I remember it was fucking cool. Um, And in the woods, uh, for a band who never really had any band photos, there was such an oddball bunch on stage, kind of one guy wearing a Hawaiian T-shirt, oval... Um, Svithjod overlord Jan Kenneth I think his name was singing cut a, a curious figure very sort of looked like he'd been just on holiday to somewhere in the near east or something um, and I used to write a lot with him back in the day and then he just disappeared I think he um, had had enough of the metal scene had enough of uh, everything and just decided I'm out um, and I kind of respect that within some people that they, they've, they've done their bit they've had their fill um, in the woods made three great records but the first one that I'm going to just kind of talk about here is Heart of the Ages it's it's a brilliant record and again just like Hades again shall be, should be considered uh, one of the final words when it comes to uh, what pagan metal is I suppose some of you are going oh you're not really talking about Norwegian black metal well like I said black metal um, adjacent you know um, because certainly the original demo Isle of Man had lots of sort of Burzum influences in the vocals and lots of sort of black metal riffs um, but Heart of the Ages 1995 um, their first song yearning for the seeds of a new dimension is Stonewall classic whole album is classic omnios is the second album again classic Strange and Stereo I liked less but It's still a really good record. They're still going, as I said, um, but it's kind of no original members and they've had their ups and downs over the last couple of years. But I saw them at Carmageddon, and they seem to be on the way back up again. It was a pretty decent sounding show, to say the least. But Heart of the Ages represented this sort of mystical, um, rare, unusual kind of record. It had an element of the other about it. It was part of the Misanthropy Records um, stall again, which promoted was for with one album Journeys End, which I'm quite proud of that we were part of some of the the institution of um, nonconformity that Misanthropy Records kind of represented back in the day, and in the woods, Heart of the Ages was a big player in that, um, in that, in that record label's structure, a big pillar of uh, it stood out like sore thumb in the black metal scene at the time. But I'm um, just looking mourning the death of Asa Wotan's return. Pigeon, don't ask what's going on there. But hey, the divinity of wisdom, the In the Woods Heart of the Ages is uh, without a doubt a absolute Stonewall classic, pagan, black metal, whatever you want to call it. And um, I think they've been released on vinyl again. I say this after everything, but um, I'm pretty sure they have. And I would recommend uh, anyone into epic sort of music to... Um, To get hold of them, get hold of these records. They're um, absolutely staggering, especially this first one. And I'm feeling now like I need to go and put it on after this and um, take a listen. Go and, you know, you'll find it on Spotify, get some headphones, some good headphones and go and take a walk in the forest and listen to Heart of the Ages and see if it does it for you as you're walking among the trees. That's kind of what we did when we're, um, you know, 19 years old. And it made total sense. It made total sense. So I suppose I should talk about a bit of real black metal, shouldn't I, really? And I'm going to mention the first Gorgoth album, Pentagram, um, came out on a French label, if I'm not incorrect, that I cannot remember the name of. Um, let me just click on this, that, and the other. Um, oh, there's a Gorgoth from the Philippines. Who knew? Anyway, yeah. Um, Pentagram. It was released by Embassy Productions from France. Just a logo. (laughs) Um, Limited edition CD. Okay, a thousand copies. Wow, okay. Well, I possess one of those. I don't have it on vinyl. Somebody wants to offer me one. Oh, it's perfectly fine. A Sorcery Written in Blood was a demo from 93, which I really, really was into. Um, I really loved the kind of scummy, Bathory kind of black metal vibes. I don't know where that demo is, actually, but um, yeah, I used to write with Infernus and all that kind of thing. But Pentagram had a really big impact. Um, I just really enjoyed the simplistic violence of those early riffs, um, but yet tinged with the sort of melodic um, melodic element. And what was this last song? Cathar, Manus, Guggen's Slava, um, I thought was a absolutely classic Track crushing the scepter. Um, and in uh, all things considered, I was a fan of um, Under the Sign of Hell, Destroyer. I quite enjoyed Insipid Satan as well. And Ad Majorum Satanus Glorium, I thought had great riffs, even though that's a kind of divisive thing. Um, it's the other Gorgoroth, so to speak. Nothing to do with any of that. But um, I still thought there were great riffs on that. So I suppose it's they're, they're it's hardly really worth calling Gorgoroth an underrated band um, or a you know um, an undiscovered gem or something like that when you consider it against names like Strid or you know just off the top of my head you know Take, Ergahal um, Ornwar's first EP was great are uh, we talking about Molested Fester etc etc all these names from back in the day Carpathian Full Moon Um, who doesn't deserve Perdition, Hearse, whatever, all these names popping into my head now, but certainly that first album um, I think is a really um, classic in the genre of just really primitive orthodox black metal, uncompromising um, no bullshit fist in the face just harsh black metal that um, I don't know quite what happened to all the other members, the singer I think came back for a little bit and then left again and all that kind of stuff, but definitely Pentagram. I presume, of course, like everything else, it's been re-released on a vinyl somewhere um, and that it should be easy enough to find. But hey, who knows? That's up to you. Happy searching. So in the last place, well, just before we get to the last record that I'm going to mention, I'm going to um, give an honorable mention to Doddheim's Guard, Monumental Possession, the second album, which kind of got lost in the mix somewhere. Um, I was not a huge fan of Krone Kronetilkonga or whatever it's called. Um, but the second one, which slipped under the radar, I pulled back out and had to listen to when I was thinking about this. And um, yeah, it's great, Black Thrash. It really give me a kick in the bollocks. Um, more black than Thrash, but it's, um, it's a solid record. I was not a huge fan of where they went after that. Kind of lost my way with them. But certainly the Monumental Possession. Um, We can hardly call enslaved underrated, but certainly Hordain's Land, the first EP, the split with Emperor, I think deserves an awful lot more love and it deserves its place as one of the, I guess, the great early 90s black metal um, or pagan black metal, whatever you want to call it, EPs. It should be up there. Maybe it is already. I don't know. It's, It's a long time since I heard anybody talking about it. But the artwork was killer. The logo, it had this again, this windswept um, earthy, kind of dark vibe to it. That one of the things that I've said in the you know the hole in the sky part, po- or sorry, the Beyond the Gates podcast was that when all the hurly burly's done and all the things are said and all the nonsense is talked, at the end of the day, um, when somebody says, "Well, you know, did that scene have the music to back it up?" The answer is, um, in spades. Yes, a thousand times yes. No matter what you want to say about Norwegian black metal, about where it went in the late 90s or where it is now, 20 years later, that period, there are so many great and incredible records. It's just it's kind of difficult to quantify how many people and how many very young people were out there making incredible records. And, um, you know, I'll give this one is going to be enslaved. Yeah. Hordane's Land. I mean, can be in. Is it 10th place? Maybe, maybe not. But. Um, and those, all of those um, records, um, and like all the other ones I've mentioned, there probably there's another five or six or seven bands that I've forgotten the names of, who also released good records at the time. But those are ten releases that I think probably maybe um, need more of an investigation or more of a dig out, or um, they need you know a little bit more of a you know you a vinyl hunt down or whatever you want to say. So I realize this is becoming more of a Dirty Dozen or, I don't know, 13 Disciples, whatever you want to say. 13 Candles, 13 something or other than a 10. Because I've realized I've got a couple more things I need to mention. The first one is Beyond Dawn. Um, I suppose it roughly comes in under the rubric of sort of post-black metal. I don't know. I guess at the time, um, and I'm talking about the album Pity Love, which is one of my favorite Norwegian records. Um, And they turned into something a little bit different after that with... um, revelry and Pity Love and stuff. But um Longing for Scarlet Heavens could be the first EP? Not sure. Anyway, Pity Love is a great record. It has a sort of Swans kind of vibe to it, even though at the time I would say that I didn't really know the Swans. But um, they really have to... I don't think I could really do this list without mentioning it. They made a couple of albums after that, but it's really Pity Love, I think, that really made... A pretty big impact. I'm sure it's been re-released, as I've said, after every one of these, and you should go and track it down. Um, I'm going to have to give honourable mentions to Take, um, Helheim, Isvind. Ildjarn popped into my head as I was looking through my seven inches. They had a very cool sort of uncompromising style that I think bands like Hate Forest kind of copied a little bit. Nijog, Ildjarn, I think was the name of the split. Um, also Manez, Tulus. Yeah, there's lots of bands. Um, I actually liked this Manos album, Vilosophe, quite a lot. But there's a couple of records before that that are worth mentioning as well. But mentioning Mysticum, never really my favorite band. I was not too much into the sort of electronic drum um, machine kind of sound. But they definitely were doing something original back then. And maybe you've seen some of their, quite frankly, astonishing shows over the last couple of years. But I suppose, without a doubt, Mysticum is worth a mention. Streams of Inferno. I would also give um, some of the early gal material uh, a mention. That's Treldom. There were a couple of albums, especially one that uh, a friend of mine used to always play at three in the morning at our kitchen table um, drinking parties and we all had a big heavy metal house together just to kind of ruin the rock and roll vibe. Once you knew Treldom was coming out, um, oh, that was the end of everything. Anyway, yeah, definitely worth a mention, Treldom. So I was feeling pretty pleased with myself. I realized I had oh, you have this episode done and dusted, time to put your feet up. And then I forgot that I, well, I realized that I forgot Red Buenzenda, Those Who Caressed the Pale demo, and uh, Written in Waters' album. Um, I saw them back maybe in 98. There are only two shows in the UK, um, which, you know, were kind of a bit disastrous or crazy for a multitude of reasons. I, I seem to remember we stayed in the same place and everyone got super sick. Um, and I think this really put a... Well, obviously, some sort of down-with-the-sickness type downer on proceedings. But anyway, yeah, Febundsende, a really exceptional band, odd, unusual, bit of Voivod, bit of 70s kind of prog, psych maybe in there somewhere, kind of dissonant, odd stuff. It did reach for the other, which, as young men, can often mean something pretentious. Um, but it made no airs and graces to, I suppose, wanted to ascend to that kind of um, application. And yeah, Web One's End of Written in Waters, a really unusual record, Misanthropy Records, that I would recommend. And I've had to go back in and re edit to mention it. So there you go, my friends. And yeah, 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 I suppose it's about time that I mention my five, I suppose, or whatever you want to call it, um, choices from what would we call it, the top tier, or the expected, the usual suspects of Norwegian black metal. Um, and I suppose we might as well start with mayhem, and it started with really tape trading and getting the, I suppose, the rather, I mean, realistically, the rather unexceptional, but pretty brutal Death Crush, um, you know, got live in Leipzig when it came out. Um, but Demetrius Dom Satanus is still an incredible piece of work. The sound, the sonics, the incredible vocal precision of Attila, um, it stands as a monolith of black metal. And really, um, you know, you can't really look much further than it. I will give Dark Throne, A Blaze in the Northern Sky is my favourite Dark Throne record. It could be a moon sometimes, but A Blaze in the Northern Sky is the one that just kicked everything back into gear In uh, somewhere in 92. Hearing in the shadow of the horns for the very first time um, and realising here's a band who were embracing the Bathory, Venom, Celtic Frost spirit at a time when everything was becoming MTV death metal and, you know, um, you know, skateboarding shorts and it was all getting very commercialized and here was the sound of a band who wanted to drag it back to its primitive past and there was, uh, you know, a lot of people out there who just w- were willing this along, you know, tape trading for black metal and tape trading black metal demos and scenes and it felt like this was like the the sharp end of the wedge that was just about to break up in the scene and um, In the Shadow of the Horns was... The opening riff to that kind of, you know, explosion or whatever you want to call it. Um, Of course, there are lots of great Dark Thorn records, but that one stands for me as one of my favorites. Um, third, I'm going to give it to Satyricon, the Shadow Throne. I like Dark Medieval Times a lot. I'm not a huge fan of what came after Shadow Throne. I like it. I like the new records. But the Shadow Throne um just has something uh, special about it. It's got a unique atmosphere, brilliant sonics. Um, just great songwriting, great riffs, great dynamics. I don't like it as much as some of the others I'm mentioning, but it's some marginal gains, marginal gains, my friends. But Satiric on the Shadow Throne, which recently was re-released as well in a kind of nice big package, um, is an incredible record. There's no way around it. And sort of, I, maybe it's my imagination that it has a sort of slightly pagan-y kind of vibe to it, but it's got something um, really special to it. Um fourth has got to be Emperor in the Nightside Eclipse I'll not mention them in order of what I prefer about them but it's got to be in the Nightside Eclipse and the Split EP but in the Nightside Eclipse I remember writing with Faust and he sent me the demo and sent me um, two advanced tracks and um, they were Inu Asetan and the Night Sky Majesty and they just blew um, blew my mind blew our fucking minds I remember playing them to my friends and playing them to primordial guys and being like listen to this and we listened to, you know, Satana, we all just put sat there in the in the rehearsal room um, somewhere in whatever it was in 93 uh, and just listened to that song. And we were all just like in silence going, fucking hell, listen to that. Um, and yeah, you can't deny it, Ishan, 17, 18 years old, whatever. So there's an awful lot of musical genius going on in the <laughs> whether no matter how you splice it in this podcast, it's a little bit of a love in for Norwegian black metal um, from that era And so, yeah, it was great to see them play this at Greek Hallen again. But, um, yeah, in the Nightside Eclipse, what can you say? It's not a record I listen to a lot these days um, as the orchestral kind of that form of kind of slightly keyboard drenched black metal left me behind a little bit as I became more, let's say, you know, the Niflheims of this world speak to my soul a bit more than um, the, you know, keyboards of the other in parenthesis. But In the Nightside Eclipse is just, yeah, it's genius. It's an incredible record. Um, anthems I like a lot after that. I kind of lost my way, but that first EP uh, and the first album, yeah, genius. But at the end of the day, and to round out the podcast, coming right up to 40 minutes, um, my favorite Norwegian black metal band is Bursum. I make no apology for that. What can I say? Philosophem um, is just for me, the kind of pinnacle of this of this internal debate that I've been having. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it kind of represents the end of an era that's sort of 95, 96. Things changed a lot after that when it comes to Norwegian black metal. But lots of philosophy sort of represents this sort of crude, ultra um, individualistic, I suppose, one man's take on black metal and it hits a particular nerve, um, as does all of Bursam. I and does many, and if not all, of the records that I've mentioned So there you go, my friends. I hope it was worth something to you. Some underrated Norwegian black metal gems in there. is Anonymous, my um, middle-aged love letter to Norwegian black metal and a homage to my 18-year-old. I don't know, whatever. What am I talking about? Who cares? Go and listen to some of the bands that I mentioned.